Hello and welcome back to the Big Esports Podcast. In this episode, I'm talking to Guy from No Line, and I've got another fantastic Brazilian guest lined up for you today. As I say in the podcast, I'm feeling like I'm turning into a massive Brazilian esports gaming fanboy, and I think that's for a really good reason that we get into. So this episode, we talk a lot about new brands coming into the space, about creative direction, and I ask him... When a new company comes to you and says, hey, I want to get into esports, where do you start? What's the formula? I've been developing one, but I really wanted to hear from someone else who's very experienced in the market. I really enjoyed this episode. I hope you do too. Enjoy. Thanks so much for being a listener of this podcast. We've created it really to help increase information sharing and understanding of the esports market. If you'd like to help us out, feel free to leave us a review on whatever podcast platform you do and make sure to share this with your friends. Hopefully we've been able to provide some fantastic information to you and a bit of a learning experience over this period of time, whether you're looking to skill up, enter the industry, or you're just looking to monitor to see how things are going. If you'd like to put yourself forward as a guest, suggest any others or ask any questions, feel free to connect with us at bigesports.gg or on any of the social media platforms at bigesports underscore gg. Guy, thank you so much for joining us today, mate. It's fantastic to have my third Brazilian on the Big Esports podcast. All right. Thank you so much for being here. And it's, hopefully I'll be able to share some insights and knowledge regarding the Brazilian community. I was, I was thinking in my drive into the office this morning about how much of a Brazilian esports and gaming fanboy I've become in the past couple of months because I I know I've said this in the past two podcasts like the one with Shiko and the one with Eric but I just feel that the Brazilian esports market is so overlooked by so many other people and I feel like it's often put in that category of Southeast Asia as well they're just those two markets that are into mobile phones and you know we in the west we shouldn't really care about them but it's just so so interesting to me and there's just so many so many fans in Brazil Oh yeah, there's a lot of fans, especially with the, the free fire phenomena. Uh, here in Brazil, uh, uh, more more than eighty percent of people or gamers prefer to use mobile for, for having fun and play. And when free fire free fire got here and said, "Hey, you can run a battle royale game in pretty much all kinds of devices, respectively to the configuration, whether it's a high end mm. phone or not," it, it it really stick, and people started playing a lot. Uh, a proof of that is that uh, uh, tournament after tournament, uh, Brazilian Brazilian fans and viewers broke records on YouTube for concurrent viewers and whatnot. So um, um, Free Fire is, is, is kind of a driving force here in Brazil regarding uh, uh, spreading the word that gaming is a good thing and esports is a good thing and that you can also have an, a, 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 as a side effect brands be more interested in in the industry yeah and i really want to talk about free fire because that's another thing that's blown my mind recently but but let's start off with a bit about yourself let let me know a little bit about your history in in the gaming and and um wider business sense and then also what your company is right now yeah absolutely uh i i have more than 10 years experience in the finance field uh, I've been working in multinationals all, all my career, pretty much. I, I used to work in Deloitte, the big four company, audit company. I used to work mm-hmm. in Universal Music, uh, in, in the music industry, and also Cerner, it's, which is a healthcare IT provider. But I've, I've been always, always been a gamer since my childhood. And then after going to a ESL event in Brazil, ESL Pro League Season 6 Finals, it happened 2016. 
it kind of clicked in me that esports would be a, a big hit in Brazil in the years to come. And then I decided to uh, like abandon on, on, on leave my promising finance career to be this kind of, 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 of liaison or bridging the gap between the gaming and esports languages and, and kind of communication and brands that have this gap of generations running the show pretty much. And ever since, uh, from three mm. years from now, I've been been part of big projects. I've been part of great companies as well. And now in No Line, uh, as a head of business, I'm able to not only impact the gaming community with meaningful projects, but also the geek audience, which is also uh, needing for events, for activations, for products, pretty much um, as well. And it's kind of uh, a new thing here in Brazil. Being a nerd or being a geek is, is look looks cool in Brazil, and like three years ago, it wasn't. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's, and it's it's really interesting to see that growth. So, so let's let's start with Free Fire. Actually, it's not it's not something um, that I necessarily thought we'd talk too much about in this podcast, but I think it's really important. So, I did, you know, I did a bit of looking recently at at Free Fire, and I saw that a Brazilian team, Corinthians, won. And I also saw that not only does Corinthians, uh, as an organization, only have one team, which is Free Fire, but they've got 700,000 followers on Instagram alone, which from my research is the highest followed solo um, gaming organization team in the world for esports. And also their engagement rate is off the charts. It was something like 8 or 9% yeah. compared to most of these other organizations are sitting anywhere between 0.5 to 6. Yeah, yeah. Um, this you're. you're Speaking about loud, right? Uh, about Corinthians, Corinthians oh, Free Fire. Corinthians, yeah, yeah, okay, 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 Corinthians. Basically, they are uh, one of the largest, depending on the region, uh, uh, teams, football teams in Brazil. And when Free Fire hit, they decided to, to create their gaming division and they bet on Free Fire. And with the help of the Immortals uh, administration, they created the cell inside the team and hired pretty much the best players and and Corinthians as a team is known to be like a team of the masses it's it's, it's kind of like um uh let me say a parallel with uh, a european team like liverpool or like um real madrid for madrid citizens pretty much it's like mm. the team of 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 the, the biggest city in sao paulo <clears throat> so uh considering that free fire kind of democratized the access to gaming for certain uh, people because they don't have enough resources to buy a high-end phone, it, it kind of explains why it stick and why uh, the engagement rate is so high because pretty much all of the young gaming enthusiasts and so that support Corinthians uh, saw that, hey, I, I'm feel, I, I feel represented. My team is also in the gaming side. And that's pretty much the long and short of it. Yeah, so can can you touch on a little bit more then about the traditional sports companies getting into esports? I think we've you know we've had some of it here in Australia with um, Australian football league teams getting into esports and a lot of interest from many others, and we've seen it overseas too. You know, with football teams getting in, but it, yeah. am I right in thinking it it hasn't been as well adopted? By the gaming industry, as it seems to have in Brazil, it seems to have a much stronger brand affinity in Brazil than other countries. 
Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. Actually, some teams already, uh, especially some of the more or most or organized teams like Corinthians, Flamengo, they, they thought, hey, if I don't renew mm. my audience base, who's going to go to stadiums in 10, 20, 30 years? That's yeah. So uh, their ventures in esports, they, they're trying to renew their, their fan base. And that's a pretty, pretty correct decision. But uh, Brazil, Brazilian teams, Brazilian traditional sports teams, they uh, are usually run by like uh, members or old time members of these teams. And th these guys are in their 70s, in their 80s, and they don't understand a thing regarding gaming. So some, some teams, for instance, Flamengo, they, they, they were just like national championship ch champions just like uh, three months ago. But they decided mm. to change the whole team because the new administration of the Flamengo traditional football team thought that, hey, we don't need this under our marketing um, department. Uh, mm. we, we are going to decide to license this team to uh, a different company and they will run it and they will fund it and they will make money and they pay us royalties after. But the team was doing very well. They, they were just like Brazilian champions, like I said. So it's, it's, it's tricky because... It, it mostly depends in the vision of the, of the president or, or the council of the, the, the main administration, and that rotates every three or four years. So it's kind of tricky, but I think it, it, it's a it's a no way back uh, thing regarding traditional teams being in in in, in esports and gaming because they need to be more involved in, 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 in social. They need to have more engagement for their traditional team, traditional football teams mostly. When, when, when we speak mm. regarding traditional sports teams in Brazil, we mostly talk about football because it's a nation, a national passion here in Brazil. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's with, with the recent success of Corinthians, they were just like world champions with their free fire uh, uh, roster. And it's uh, only like two months old roster. So it's a pretty good achievement for a team created so recently. Uh, I think more other teams like Sao Paulo, Palmeiras, uh, Botafogo uh, are going to follow this trend. Yeah. And, and, and touching on like what I said before, I did some content around different um, Instagram engagement rates okay. for teams. And I, and I decided to look at Brazil, for example, and... Number one and two, n this is not including Loud, which is more of a YouTube organization as far as I understand. Okay. You know, Corinthians Free Fire is sitting at just under 10% engagement rate on Instagram, and okay. Flamengo is just over 8%, and third place is 3.5% or 3%. So there's such a, you know, it just shows to me that so many people want to engage with with these brands you know that and compared to global esports numbers within yep. within Instagram you know those are way up there super high and i think um i, I think i think those two are, are two of the highest in the world yeah yeah uh one of the key data that also explains this kind of engagement is that uh, after recent uh surveys and researches uh one third of brazilian population consider themselves gaming gamers so we're talking yeah, okay. about 77 million people in Brazil. That's very ex expressive if we're not talking about China, of course. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And and looking at those stats that that you um you know kind kindly sent through to me as well. You know, you've identified 18 million esports fans. Yeah. Out of those 77 million gamers as well, which to me feels like um a larger percentage of gamers are likely to be esports fans in Brazil than yeah. other countries. 
Yeah, um, the thing is, the esports community in Brazil is have a, a, a history since like the the two thousands with the uh, with the land centers and land houses, like we call here in Brazil. So mm. a, a lot of gamers with my age in their thirties started playing like 15, 20 years ago. And it's, it's only natural that this number is going to increase over the years, to be honest. Mm. And with League of Legends, uh, like uh, four and five years ago, leading the way regarding broadcast production, uh, incredible events, uh, a whole esports scene structure for teams and players to develop. Um, it, it, it's, it's one of the main reasons why the esports fans, like the, the guys and girls that watch esports content at least once a month are so high as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And and I guess that is, is another perfect segue into the next bit of conversation that I wanted to talk about, which was the, the difference between PC and mobile gaming in Brazil. Yep. We, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording, but I'll say it again that I feel like you can fairly easily identify certain countries are really heavily weighted towards either PC or mobile gaming. You could say, like, for example, in Australia, for us in esports, it's all PC. There's 1% or less mobile. If you look at America, it's very similar. If you look at countries like Southeast Asia, besides a bit of a showing in games, say, like Dota 2 and a bit in League of Legends, it seems flipped. It seems to be mainly mobile. But what I find interesting about Brazil is not only do you have a very strong Counter-Strike presence, you've also got a very strong League of Legends presence and some Dota presence too, but with strong mobile. So I'm interested in learning from you about that split in esports. So not so much just in general gaming and what the wider audience does, but where is a lot of the focus for esports in Brazil right now in in PC versus mobile? Yeah, okay. Um, There's a lot of components that explain this, is that the first thing, uh, we have a uh, 200... 210,000 million people in Brazil. I'm sorry about this uh, messy uh, translation. (laughs) That's okay. um, And we have almost 300 million cell phone lines. So like mobile phone in Brazil, it's a very, it's a a thing. Like people Mm. like to have a lot of lines, a lot of like devices, uh, Having a good phone, is, it affects status quo, right? More than like your clothes, your shirts, your shoes, your house, your car. So having a fancy phone, uh, it, it's a nice thing to have. And mm. since the beginning, uh, hardware in Brazil because of taxes and importation are very hefty and expensive. So it limits the access for general population to have like a good gaming PC, a good gaming laptop. In the other hand, we have a lot of incentives for you to procure and buy a cell phone. So that's, that's one of the main components that in, in the social part for gamers preferring mobile over PC because it's cheaper, because uh, having a good phone, it, it, it looks and feels better for you, with your friends, with your family, with your acquaintance. And in the other hand, the PC, uh, you have to, you gotta have a structure, you gotta have like, a, a fiber or, or broadband internet in house. And whereas with the mobile phone, you can play in your commute. You can play while waiting for your bus. You can play uh, during your lunch. It's just easier mm. to play. Here in having a mobile, it makes you more, obviously, pardon, pardon the, the expression, but more, but more mobile. You can play whenever, whatever you want, pretty much. Mm. Whereas if you have a computer, you got to have like 
a, a fixed space with broadband connection and mm -hmm. it, it, it limiting your movements, right? And I'm not sure if, if you got this part, but in the recent the recent research and surveys, uh, the most uh, the most used platforms for playing. 83% of gamers used to play on mobile, whereas only 42% play on PC. Mm. But when we move to the preferred platform, 45% say, I prefer to play on mobile, and only 12% say, I prefer to play on my PC. Because uh, mo uh, mo uh, having a good cell phone, a good mobile phone, affects status quo, like I was saying. Uh, it, it's good to have a fancy phone with, so you can play for friends, for family, for acquaintance. It's just easier. It's just more like uh, uh, um, more uh, accessible for for gaming here in Brazil. At least uh, in a country that you uh, have 210 million people and over 300 million lines. It's really yeah. It's it's really interesting to hear that and to talk about that and the different ways that gamers think. You know, myself and a lot of my friends thinking about it is that we've all got mobile phones that can play games, but would rather play on a bigger screen, you know, with a mechanical keyboard and a gaming mouse and a comfy gaming chair at home than yep. we would, you know, out. And and for me, usually when I'm traveling, I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks the whole time, yep. not really so much playing games. And it's really interesting to see that. It's like a change in, in psychology because... A lot of the a lot of the time too, you know, it's lower socioeconomic countries that play on mobile because they can't afford a good computer. Yeah. Especially if you're thinking about things like virtual reality, it's just so hard where you have to buy a two thousand dollar computer and a two hundred dollar monitor and two hundred dollars worth of peripherals, plus you've got to buy the six hundred dollar headset, you know, and, and, and have all of the good enough technology to be able to play all of that, right? Yeah. So it's really interesting to see that difference with you know, with Brazil and, and especially having you know, so much success and reverence in the esports market in regards to especially Counter-Strike, you know, with the MIBR team yep. and, and such, that there's still such now a strong affinity to mobile. And it's yeah, it's really interesting to me to see that balance between mobile and PC in Brazil in esports. Yeah, absolutely. And another component that also explains mobile preference over PC is that infrastructure in Brazil is kind of tricky uh, in, the, in the majority of regions. So we have like the mm. big cities with like uh, internet, with fiber, with broadband connection. But in the other hand, in the uh, in the in the southern part, in the countryside, in the north part, in the northeast, you have good uh, cell phone towers, but not internet. You can play with your three point five G, your four G, but you don't have uh, fixed lines or fixed cables for broadband connection for PCs. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And it seems like that's, it seems like the infrastructure thing is a lot of the answer, right? Talking yeah, to absolutely. people in Southeast Asia, the reason why Facebook is so popular is because usually it's, it's free data for yep. most people. So it just makes perfect sense. Why would you use all your data on Twitch TV when you can go to Facebook for free and watch yep. tournaments on there? Absolutely. Um, and especially when, you know, this is foreign to a lot of people that are in Australia or America, but, you know, when I travel to Taiwan, I've done that about eight times for work, for example, you know, your phone comes with free unlimited 4G. Yep. So it just makes so much more sense for you just to use your phone for everything. Absolutely. Because you don't have to worry about download limits where in Australia it can be ruthless. I remember being in high school and, you know, some of my friends having a 1.5 gigabyte um, download limit for the month. 
on their broadband connection. I remember specifically one of my friends, he downloaded his World of Warcraft patches and that was it. He couldn't play because <laughs> all of his download was gone. But those kind of things just simply don't exist in some other countries. So it's it's interesting to see for me how infrastructure seems to lead the charge and socioeconomic status as well. Those two kind of combined seem to lead the charge in, in esports in regards to what people play. Okay. Mm. Yep. That, so, that's, that sounds like a correlation. That's for sure. Yeah, exactly. So tell tell me a bit more about your business and what you're working on, um, and you know how you're how you're creatively bringing new brands into the industry. Okay. Uh, basically, what 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 is no line? No line is a new concept regarding uh, how agencies work in this gaming and geek ecosystem. <clears throat> um, the idea behind no line is that the online and offline concept for agencies is already like long past. It's already already old fashioned concept. For the public, for the audience, for the customers, uh, online and offline are the same thing. So for us, there's no line. It's all connected. It's all the same. And our, 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 our philosophy of work is having like a small but very senior team that can connect with other specialists, other teams, and other uh, service providers that can offer the best experience for brands and for, for our partners. We are mm. a very recent company, only uh, one and a half year old, but we come with a background with more 20 years of, uh, of, of agency and advertising experience with the main partners. They founded mm. one of the biggest agencies in Brazil and they uh, shifted away from the daily agency operation. It's kind of very bureaucratic over like 150 employees to create this small agency that's only focused in, in gaming and geek. Uh, our main clients here in Brazil are Amazon Prime Video. We help them release series in Brazil. Uh, we've we'll be we'll be doing a, a good job so far. We're, we're very high evaluated by them. We are long partners of Twitch as well. We, we help, we help um, running their shows in big gaming events like BGS and Comic-Con. Um, mm. We also recently uh, struck a, uh, a deal with Ambev, one of the largest uh, drinking bottler, bottlers in the world. Uh, they develop mm-hmm. uh, energetic and uh, energy drink uh, co-created by with gamers. Uh, basically, they got one of the best and, and, and biggest teams in Brazil, INTZ, the team that Chico, mm-hmm. the, the former uh, 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 invited guest on the podcast, works uh, mm-hmm. to help them. Hey. What about this flavor? What about these vitamins? What about these kind of components of the drink? So this drink is gaming, gamer oriented. And we are helping this energy drink to uh, release their, this new concept in one of the biggest ga- uh, geek events here in Brazil, the Comic-Con experience. Well, that's already, it's already a sold out event. It's going to happen between December the 4th until December the 8th. And almost, uh, not almost, but 270,000 tickets already sold. And it's a sold out. Wow. It's a pretty, pretty, pretty massive. It's, a, it's, it's the biggest Comic Con in the world. Mm. Uh, and these are our, our, our biggest projects right now. Uh, we, create, we, we are like known to create good experience and immersive experience for fans and brands alike. That's, uh, that's, that's, that's how I could sum uh, our, our, our line of work for No Line. Uh, a very small, but also very experienced and senior team that are able to uh, uh, translate what is gaming and what is geek cultures 
for brands and for um, the fans as well. A, a question for you, and, and this is it's a very open question, um, and I'm really interested to see your response. So when a brand comes to you and says, we want to get into esports, that's usually all they know. So where do you start? Do you yeah, have okay. a formula? Yeah, we, we kind of have our, uh, our methods that we apply where the games, the gaming is the, is the center of this hive. Imagine a hive, like a six, six sides hive where mm-hmm. we, we put like the esports hive, the, the gamers hive, the media hive, and all the other components, endemics and non-endemics. And we expand these hives with the, the, the necessary um, description. So in the publishing uh, hive, we have the publishers and and, and developers that create games for mobile, for P- PC, for laptops, or whatever, or cross-platform. And on the media side, we have Twitch, we have YouTube, we have the TV channels, we have the social media channels. So we, we help them create and have a better grasp and understanding of what these kind of components are. Uh, when you want to invest in gaming, you don't have to necessarily do everything. You don't have to create a product. You don't have mm. to also uh, uh, sponsor a team or sponsor uh, um, um, an influencer. We, we can focus uh, uh, in, in some aspects if these aspects uh, uh, make sense with the with with your with your brand with your products. Uh, there's an expression that we are, will kind of agree with. We, we actually agree with. It's FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. Not every mm. brand, not every brand is suitable for esports, and that's okay. Our job as an agency is to tell this to the clients. It, it sometimes it's it's a uh, it's a uh, uh, it's not what they want to hear, but it's the honest truth, right? And it, that's mm. our job to, to to be transparent regarding uh, what is esports, what is the opportunities, and what are the challenges, and what can't be done, right? Uh, here in Brazil, uh, some of the agencies uh, are. Uh, focused, not not focused, but they 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 kind of always say yes to the clients without um, uh, telling them the consequences of mm. creating certain acts. If if you get what I'm mm. saying, uh, and we we kind yeah. of position position ourselves differently. We 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 are a very st- strong approach regarding what can be done and what can can't be done, and we don't do what can't be done. Yeah, and I, I've I've had that same discussion in the past. I think with Jeffrey Pabs from FaZe Clan, I think, was one of the podcasts and a few others saying that there's a, yeah, there's definitely a concern of esports companies sometimes being like traditional agencies where they just say they can do everything. Yeah. And they simply can't. Because, and you can look from their lens and say they're doing that because they really want the revenue no matter what. Absolutely. Sometimes yeah. it's just not the best thing to take that revenue. But that another, I wanted to expand a bit. On what you were saying, you know, we've been talking to a lot of sports recently here in Australia about how they can activate on gaming. And I've been trying to build my own formula as well that has some very similar things like what you were saying. With the sports specifically for me, the main question to ask them is, what problem are you trying to solve? Because if you're talking to a sport in Australia like cricket, for example, which people aren't just going to see see live anymore, So the problem they're trying to solve is maybe they can use gaming to get more tickets sold, to get more people live. If you were to talk to, say, the UFC, for example, which was just in Brazil, 
they have no problem selling out a stadium anywhere in the world, no matter how big the stadium is, yep. from Australia to New York to Brazil to Dubai to wherever. So their problem they want to solve, you could say, is is likely more pay-per-view, which is online, and maybe more digital viewership and a new audience. Whereas if you talk to um, golf, I, I wrote a LinkedIn status about this, the average age of a PGA golf fan is 61 years old. So you can say pretty obviously there, like you were saying before with Brazil, is that they want younger fans. They want new audiences to come in. So that's their problem to solve. So I feel like that's the first question I often ask. And the second one is, how can I do something similar to what the brand's already doing? So if they're, um, you know, let's say that Red Bull has never been in esports before, you can see quite obviously that Red Bull likes to work with celebrities. They yep. like to do product placement. They like to do cool videos. They like to do yep. content. So the easiest thing to say to Red Bull would be, well, just do exactly that same thing, but in esports. Sponsor a team, do some cool content like they did with Team OG. Become yep. part of an organization. Um, you know, work with influencers, do can in hand, as they call it, and things like that too. And the same goes for a makeup brand. You know, if a makeup brand was to come to me and wanted to get into esports, it would make sense to do exactly the same thing. Work with um, gamers who are YouTubers who are also big makeup fans to do unboxings and reviews the same way that they work with makeup YouTubers to do unboxings and reviews. So just finding those likenesses between, and I find that that helps them so much to understand because not only do they feel a bit more safe, but they also understand what the metrics are. They can value that CPM versus the CPM in their traditional industry. They can value what the deliverable should be and they can weigh the outcomes because a lot of the time, you know, we don't want them to just be blindly throwing money into esports or even just putting in money and not knowing how to measure because that's what I've seen a lot in the past in companies have seen the interest in esports, understand that there's a lot of people there. They might get a lot of exposure, but they don't get actually anything out of it after that exposure happens. Sure, a lot of people can see your brand, but if you're, I don't know, you say Toyota, everyone knows who you are already. So there needs to be some sort of call to action, some sort of messaging, something different rather than just seeing your logo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, two great questions. I hope uh, I'll be able to, to answer them uh, in the, the fully extent of, your, of what you want to know. Um, the first mm. thing you mentioned regarding UFC are being uh, able to fulfill stadiums. Uh, the, uh, and, and I'll put like the Formula One as well, the, the racing competition. Mm. The, who uh, reinvented themselves in, in, in uh, since like uh, they they were sold right. Uh, mm. The thing the thing is you need to you need to treat esports as entertainment, not only sports. And if you put a good show with good production value, with good content, people will watch and people will buy into it. If mm. you have to reinvent yourself to in ways of getting good content. So people we watch that that's that's our, our, our number one thing and the number one uh, um, uh, I'm not I'm not gonna say philosophy but the the number one rule when we create a project for clients you have to take in consideration the content that you want to pass to your buyer to your viewer to your potential buyer to your target audience whatever you can call it uh, if, if you respect that people will have more chances into buying what you're trying to sell irrespective if it's a product or service or just trying to raise awareness of your brand. So mm. uh, not only focus in, in competition side, but in the content side and create good value in the entertainment. That's the number one thing regarding your first question. And regarding yeah. this, the second one, 
Um, I think that uh, we need to, to provoke brands more, like just to, to recreate what they already do. I, I don't think it, 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 it sticks with the community. The community is it, it's very smart. It, it's been, it's been uh, growing since the 2000s. Uh, I would say uh, since the 80s, because we had the old uh, consoles, the arcades and the whatnot. And mm. they, they don't, they don't, at least in Brazil, they don't read newspapers. They don't listen to the radio, but they listen to, but they do listen to podcasts, <laughs> thankfully. Uh, and mm. they don't see uh, regular TV anymore. So there's like a, a, a gold yeah, okay. run in the linear TV channels here in Brazil going to digital and offering their, their content uh, on, on like apps and, or digital platforms because of it. Mm. So you need to adapt and brands are likely to do the same. Uh, I, I don't want to pitch Red Bull to, hey, let's put, let, let put a gamer in the, in the rooftop and they, then you're going to a machine where he backflip. Uh, I don't think <laughs> it, it's like it, 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 it's going to fit with the, uh, with the yeah. community other than, other than creative means, right? You need to be yeah. creative in the sense of getting the essence of the product and the essence of the brand and deliver a good content and a unique content for your audience. That's, that's mm. where, where the magic lies, at least in, in our market here. And we're doing a, a pretty good job in provoking brands to think that way. Like, um, and, 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 and going back to what we just discussed, it, it's not like, uh, hey, I never had an energy drink. Uh, I want to be in esports. And then we always say, uh, do you really want to, to be there? If you, your main focus is uh, parties or like, uh, dance dance clubs. Why mm. you want to go to esports? You are being recognized a top one uh, an energy drink in these kind of places. For instance, uh, Fusion, our client from Ambev, they decided to get out of these uh, areas. They are not mm. going to be in dance clubs anymore. They're not going to be in bars. They're not going to be in parties. But they wanted to be. They wanted to be a, a gamer gamer-oriented energy drink. And that's a good, mm. a good thing. That's the first, first step of having a successful product because it's legit, it's authentic. And authenticity, authenticity is very well perceived by gamers. Yeah, that's very, yeah, that's very true. That's very true. And, it, and it's interesting you mentioned that. You know, something I learned um, a while ago now about Red Bull is, is they're not in blood sports, for example. So they're not in anything that's fighting. And it's and it's interesting to see that denotion with the different brands, like you were saying with with inbred with in sorry InBev's new brand, you know, wanting to be gamer centric and not getting into nightclubs. And one one thing I wanted to expand on, like what you were saying there, that it's your job quite often and my job quite often that's really hard is being the translator between yep. brand and gamer. Yep. And trying to find that middle ground a lot of the time. Yep. And sometimes having to i feel like kill the hopes and dreams of the brand <laughs> where a lot of the time especially in the past a brand or an investor would come to me and say hey chris i want to buy an esports team and then you have to kindly remind them that um i hope they've got five million dollars budget spare <laughs> if they want to buy a team or you know they want to do a certain campaign that's simply not possible because you just know the developer isn't going to be interested in working with this brand or they're an alcohol or gambling company that comes with certain regulations in the esports industry, like 
you know, not being able to work with League of Legends okay. or Overwatch, yeah. for example. How do you how do you find that balance? I I find that most meetings I exit, especially early in the relationship stage, I can't think anymore. My brain is completely spent <laughs> because <laughs> I feel like it's a I feel like it's a translation method a lot of the time. That's hard to do. Yeah, it's it's a very tough pro- uh, process, and uh, we participate in a lot of meetings where after our pitch, our presentation, the first thing they say, "Can you send your material?" But it's kind, it's our strategy. It's our like, our, 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 yes. It's, it's 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 the thing that we uh, create for our livelihood as a company, right? <laughs> we we can't just yes. give you the gold, like like to, to say this expression <laughs> to them so freely. Uh, it, it's difficult. Mm. Uh, uh, like I would say, seven out of ten meetings uh, are kind of go this way, where three of them are very good and they understand they need to take the steps uh, carefully with a lot of like uh, understanding first, uh, a lot of research first, benchmark first before taking the first action. And this, 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 this three, three out of 10 companies are the company brands that are, we want to invest our time on. We are, we, we're not like a boutique agency, but we, we, we prefer to be uh, selective in what brands we prefer to work with. Right. Mm. Because, mm. We, we, we don't want to sell uh, tournament sponsorships. We don't want to, to sell influencer sponsorships. That's, that's not our thing. Our thing is to create authentic ways to connect these brands with the gaming and geek audience. That's the longer short of it. And, and it, it's, a, it's, a, 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 it's a try and error process. There, there's there's not, not, not much we can do other than just and to stick with our principles and philosophies and set of rules that we created before uh, having this vision of being this uh, kind of, um, um, I'm not going to say utopia, but it uh, had this uh, strong uh, feel of what brands should do and shouldn't do in esports. Yeah, I had to, I had to laugh when you were talking about that because so many, this, this happens to me so often that, that it's, <laughs> it's just funny in, in the fact where, a brand wants to do an influencer campaign. We say, okay, great. We can make that happen. What's your budget? I don't know. What can you do? I don't do? know. <laughs> yeah. What's your, what's, your, what's your expected outcome? I don't know. What can you know. do? <laughs> and, and sometimes I try to gently coax them towards it. And then I end up having to say, look, I can literally do a budget for you from, uh, from $1,000 to $10 million. Yeah. And they go, oh, Okay, and I go. That's yeah. why it's important for me to understand. You know, where because you wouldn't like. Would you do the same thing? You went to a TV station and said, "Hey, I want an ad," and they said, yeah. "How much do you want to spend?" And you go, "I don't know." And they go, yeah. "Well, do you want one ad a day, or do you want thirty ads a day for five years?" Like, you know, there's there's so much of a difference, and I find that interesting. But that's, you know, I guess it's it. <laughs> not trying to make fun, I guess, of the brands because they don't understand. But that's something okay. that happens so often, and it's happening with events now too you know while we're talking with sports about how they can activate and do game day activations and such yeah. it's the same thing you know i'm getting the question from people how much does it cost to run an event and i say well i don't know are you talking about the Fortnite world cup or the dota 2 international or yeah. are you talking about 10 pcs with you know that's set up with Fortnite for people to come and play 
Like, oh. you know, they're very different. You know, to run a Dota 2 International, you're talking 1.2 million USD in production cost and yeah. tournament operator costs plus the prize pool. Whereas, yeah. you know, 10 PCs with a mid-level influencer to bring some hype and, and to be a commentator, you know, then you're talking 10 grand, 20 yeah. grand, depending on who the influencer is. And explaining that too to some people that some campaigns that we're doing at the moment, there's a $50,000 difference between them. And that $50,000 difference is literally influencers. Yeah, That's absolutely. the difference. It's exactly the same event. It's copy-pasted. It's the same style setup. It's the same amount of computers. It's the same type of booth. It's the same marketing, but one just has mega influencers. The other one doesn't. So you got to pay for those. Uh, right. Yeah, yeah. And, and more often than not, this, uh, this budget ranges affect directly with the projects you can deliver or not, right? Yeah. So... Uh, one of the next topics I really want to talk about, Guy, was in regards to the industry growth and focus for the future. So you mentioned earlier in the podcast about how it's grown massively in, say, the past three or three or more years. But I really want to see um, or hear from you about growth in the future and what's important to you in regards to growth. Are there certain market segments you think that are really underserved that need to grow and just want to get a bit of market information from you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, are we talking here about esports growth, gaming growth, yes. or both? Yeah, or both. Both's fine. Okay, so uh, one of the key indexes and uh, information that we have from Brazil is that the Brazilians uh, are the third largest Twitch audience in the world, uh, only losing to China, obviously, and United States. But uh, Brazilians don't buy a lot of stuff. They don't spend much in gaming. Um, we are the 13th uh, country regarding uh, gaming spend. It's only 1.5 billion. And we are, like, like I said, 200, 210 million country. And we lose to a country like Japan, who has like a tenth of our population regarding uh, mm. gaming revenue. Uh, but I guess the silver lining that we have here is that since we have such a, a, a small uh, rev- gaming revenue, if compared to other countries, is that if you grow like 25% more or 50% more, it's going to be a very big hit in Brazil. I- imagine if, mm. we, if, if we can double revenue, we can go to 3 billion revenue, and that's going to be a massive thing. Um, the, the key aspects that prevent that to happen, at least at this moment, is that we have a very uh, taxed uh, segment uh, importation do, uh, and dirty freeze fees are very hefty, and we have a lot of uh, a gray area regarding piracy because other countries like Paraguay, we, which is just in the border of the south part of Brazil, they uh, have tax incentives of import importing consoles, for instance. So Brazilians go to Paraguay, or distributors go to Paraguay, buy these consoles without invoices, without the proper um, tax uh, system, and they f- and, and people prefer to buy these than going to the, your like preferred retail store and buy the the, the national consoles or hardware. So it, it, we have we have a lot of uh, like to dos to fix this kind of uh, revenue stream regarding gaming uh, and on, on on the aspect of esports. I think that. Uh, more traditional brands are coming, like big banks, big uh, auto manufacturers, car manufacturers, 
insurance companies, uh, fast-moving consumer goods like the MBAV, Coca-Cola, they're starting to wake up. And since they need to communicate in dialogue with this younger audience, they're going to uh, sooner, sooner, sooner or later pour some money into the segment. And so this, this uh, uh, 1.5 billion can easily double or easily triple within the mid, mid long term, like I would say three to five years. And, and where do you see um, the investment market going in the space? Where's a lot of the attention right now? You know, I just talked in the last podcast with Ali Young about live facilities across the world seem to be a massive trend. And, and they are the next trend following esports teams, which has started to go down a little bit now. I'm interested to see yeah, what you see in Brazil. Does it, does it mirror the rest of the world? Okay. Uh, we, we don't have a very active venture capital looking into esports right now. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, main, um, uh, the main type of companies these kind of VC guys are looking for are fintechs. We have a lot of interesting fintechs here in Brazil. The most prominent new bank. They have more than 15 million uh, active consumers with their um, uh, uh, fee-less, uh, branch-less kind of bank and credit card. Mm. And Brazilians mm. are kind of detaching of this idea to go to a bank branch or to have like their own finance or bank manager to solve uh, financial aspects of their life. They want to have full control. So the big, the, the largest banks and the one of the most prominent venture capitalist firms are kind of looking into this new kind set segment. It's very heated as of now. So esports here kind of not hey, it's not my cup of tea uh, 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 until I, I figure out the fintech side. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. So do you think that? I mean, actually, let's 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 change topics a little bit into loud that I'd like to talk a bit about. Because that's another example of a, of a company coming out of the grassroots and something I'd like to get your opinion on. So, so Loud is, as far as I understand, a, a YouTuber-type company in a gaming house that's been launched fairly recently in Brazil and seen massive success, millions of subscribers, millions of social media followers, etc., and seeming very similar to what people in the Western market would be used to in regards to, say, FaZe, 100 Thieves House, Click Management, or The Misfits. I'd love to learn a little bit from you about, you know, what the adoption of Loud has been like in the Brazilian market, who they are, and and do they have any crossovers with the esports market at all? Okay, um, I I'm not really into the YouTube community, but I know a thing or two. The one thing I know is that Bruno Playhard is a, one of the biggest gaming oriented YouTubers, and. One and a half years ago, he started a project with other big YouTubers, one of them also being Felipe Neto, one of the biggest uh, YouTube influencers for kids and young audience, a project now came, uh, named Final Level, which would be like them living in a mansion and mm. like having their daily routines uh, being recorded, later edited, uh, and then showing like in, 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 the, in the sense of having episodes. Uh, and mm. then kind of exploded uh, after he started participating there and he became a, a YouTube household name. And after he went look, look, uh, went to look w- with like the gaming networks like Aaron Paul, United States and other kind of these kind of YouTubers, uh, he say, Hey, uh, if I get some good market marketable guys that are good to 
play video games and put them in a mansion, maybe we can have a, a similar engagement. Because when I was there, uh, people wanted to see how my life was, in, not only when I was gaming, but also when I woke up, my daily exercise routine, the time of my meals and all this stuff. And that was kind of the uh, uh, when Free Fire were, were, were uh, arrived in Brazil. So the timing was perfect. Mm. It was like, it's more, more like uh, his vision in, in being the pioneer with this kind of organization slash uh, daily life, daily routine, uh, behind the scenes kind of team and releasing this kind of good original content in YouTube with uh, a, a game that's uh, it, it's pretty much played in, in every kind of phone available. That's the mm. long and short of it, of, of, of Loud as a team, I would say. Uh, all, all of the Loud team members are very marketable guys. They're very, very easygoing. They don't shy away from cameras. They don't shy away for interviews. They don't shy away to, to give autographs. And you know, like uh, esports athletes, esports pro players, they're kind of reg regular guys. Some of them don't like to, to be in front of cameras. They just like to play, right? And when you have mm. this kind of uh, stardom quality in your talent, in your players, it, it helps you uh, boost your engagement. That's for sure. Because uh, Brazil, uh, I, I, I'm going to go a little deep here. Brazil lacks idols or idols uh, like are no more uh, or, or, or only idol pretty much is Neymar. And he kind of goes uh, up and down with his career as a football player, uh, right? But we don't have the Ayrton Senna anymore in, F in Formula One. We don't have our tennis player, which was Guga. We don't have the, uh, uh, the, the, the big stars on football, right? So uh, mm. other audiences are, are, are looking into these gaming stars to, to, to mirror themselves in. So that's why Falling is, is a Gabriel Falling from CSGO is a, mm -hmm. a very sought of influencer because he's a very respect, uh, very professional, very reputable, very uh, 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 easygoing guy. He goes above and beyond to give autographs, to be close with the community. He, al he always like when, when he goes to an event, hey, I'm going to stay here for one, one hour. He stays over three hours because people are getting into close to him to take a selfie, to take a, a picture with him. So um, there's this social component of not having enough idols to mirror yourself being as a young kid here in Brazil. So loud is, is kind of a combination of every, uh, every aspect that I just uh, uh, open up to you. Wow, that's really interesting that gaming is filling the, the gap, the societal gap yep, that yep. people are looking towards. And it's yep. not just... Yeah, it's not just the fact of something that's interesting to gamers, but something that, that the wider Brazilian society as a whole has identified a need for. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, like Esports Illustrated, the magazine said that uh, pretty, uh, in, in five years, uh, 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 the magazine uh, front page is going to feature a gamer as opposed to a, a, a traditional sports athlete in, in it. Mm. And it, it, it's not only a, a Brazilian thing, but also a, a global thing, I would say. And I, I love what you said about... Um, Corinthians Free Fire in partnership with a large YouTuber really kicking off loud because that's that's something that happens so much that I think a lot of people don't pay enough attention to. I feel like in the American Australian market especially, Overwatch was the first game to do that. We saw so many YouTubers become big 
because of Overwatch and identifying and, and capturing that kind of audience. And then Fortnite was the next game. So using a direct example of that in Australia, we had a large YouTuber called Muselk who switched over to Overwatch and his channel absolutely exploded. Off the back of that, he was able to launch an agency with some other partners called Click Management. Okay. And all of those talent were also big as part of Overwatch. And then they all switched to Fortnite during the big Fortnite train and then they saw their channels triple again on top of that. And they have a similar model to Loud as well. And I think it's important for people to understand how important these game titles are in the growth of these influences. And a lot of the time, you know, you're being followed because the fan is a fan of the game as much as they are as of you. The same way that someone would follow, would someone follow Neymar if he wasn't a famous football player? Probably not. You know, so yes, he's a very skilled athlete and, you know, looks cool, says the right things, which you all need to be part of, but also it's attachment to that game. It's the attachment to football that's just as important or even more important than who they are as a personality, and you need to marry those two things together. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I 100% agree. Uh, and, and you understand that um, also that you, you, don't, you don't need to be like the top competitor in the server to be this kind of role model for your audience, right? Yeah, yeah. When you remove the kind of esports competition and focus in entertainment, because it's all entertainment, right? We're talking about mm. video games. Your games are supposed to, uh, to be a, a product that, that serves to pass time. So you, you, if you stress, you can play like FIFA, you can play a, a casual match in CSGO. They're just like a, a, a medium that you can interact with and spend some time with. Uh, but then mm. as times, time went by, it evolved into being a competition, a teamwork-based competition, right? But uh, in the core center, video games are just uh, 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 like hobbies or like uh, ways of past your time. And people will never cease to stop video games. It, 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 in my opinion, uh, it, it will only increase because we are having a, a, gener- a, a, a new generation of gamers that will pass this habit to their children and the children, their children, children's children, and so it goes. Yeah, and you know, expanding on that too, I feel like, you know, our generation. I was born in nineteen ninety one, for example. I feel like that's the last generation of not everybody is a gamer, and I feel like gaming is now the norm for you know my friends that are having children now, for example, okay. people that sit halfway between those two generations, and it's kind of reaffirmed to me through some of our work that we do in TikTok with influencers there. None of the influencers we work with are gaming influencers and none of them really classify themselves as gamer because they just are expected to. The same way that I'm sure if you're in Brazil, you're expected to be a fan of football and you're expected to have a football team that you follow simply because it's so popular. The same way that the state that I mostly grew up in, that I moved to, Tasmania in Australia, you're expected to be an Australian Football League fan. And when I moved there, my classmates, new ones, would say, hey, Chris, what's your what's your footy team? And I would say, I don't have one. And the look on their face was just shock. <laughs> they just can't fathom it. And yeah. it seems to be the same with kids these days. You're not necessarily calling yourself a gamer because you don't call yourself a car driver. It's just expected that you, you most likely know how to drive a car. Yeah. Um, you don't call yourself a credit card owner or a phone owner because you just expected that you own a phone if you live in society these days in, in yeah. certain countries. So uh, I find it's coming the same with gaming too. 
Yeah, and also it, it, this this kind of logic also applies to esports fan because if if you play if you're like a, a guy that works your regular work shifts and go to your house and play your FIFA, uh, it, mm-hmm. it have high chances of no, not knowing there's a, like a a, a, a esports scene re- involving FIFA because you're just a casual gamer. But brands kind of expect, hey, if, if, if this guy plays FIFA, he's an esports fan. And it, it's not true. Yeah, okay. You, yeah. you don't have to set these ex- this kind of expectations. Uh, when you go back and say, hey, we are a country of 210,000 million people, and, and a, a third of them are considered gamers. But what, what about the other two thirds that not consider gamers? That's the vast majority. <laughs> mm. uh, it, it's not like we can't do that we can't put people in the same basket and and like label them like hey uh all of them or most of them or the 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 the, the most economic active guys or girls are gamers because that's not true you, you need to mm. go deeper in that understanding that's why we always say you have to do your research you have to do your housework your your homework you need to, mm. to do your uh, benchmark analysis with your, with your uh, competitors or to see what, what your brand are doing overseas. We, we were very like strict and very like, uh, 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 like, uh, um, let me, let me find the, the right word, like, uh, uh, uh picky with, the, with this kind of, of, of rules regarding, uh, whether you should do or shouldn't do sports. The thing that we're talking about uh, a couple of minutes later, uh, before. Mm, mm, yeah, exactly. Well, mate, great, great chat today. I've really enjoyed it. It's it's great to see. I guess you know, like I said, I've had three different people from Brazil on, and they've been three wildly different: one from media, one from an esports team, and one from creative. And each time, you know, I'm getting very similar answers from you guys from a different lens. So it's really cool to see. There seems to be a lot of cohesion in the Brazilian esports industry. You guys seem to get along and you seem to have the same ideas for success going into the future. So it's a really interesting market to keep watching. Yeah, uh, I, I, I echo what you say. Uh, the Brazilian professionals are a very small team of individuals, but we're very united in the sense of sharing knowledge, sharing uh, insights, sharing analytics. Um, we, we try to evolve as a community. We don't see ourselves like competitors. We don't see ourselves uh, like fighting for this kind of space because we first need to bring attention of media, bring attention of people, bigger people, brands. And only then and after then we can kind of fight for bids or clients and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. First, we need to develop our, our, our markets. Uh, one of the barriers that we find a lot, and that's why you try to structure ourselves a lot to match this kind of requests is that Brazilian deliverables are not very professional if compared to other uh, uh, kind of deliveries like uh, uh, of like uh, media sponsorships of traditional sports, um, television spots, stuff like that. So we, we try to professionalize uh, individuals and professionalize the deliverables not only of, of our side but every side in esports. So uh, I. I I, it doesn't surprise me that we are consistent. We are in with our, our answers, but it makes me very glad to be part of this uh, fast-growing and evolving community. So uh, I appreciate the time with you as well, Chris. Uh, like I said, very uh, interesting and good job in uh, in picking up professionals from different regions and, and getting their insights 
of the region and their economy and having this network of well-connected professionals. So thank you so much for your time. Uh, I hope that I was able to transmit some kind of message regarding our Brazilian region and mm. opportunity we have here. Um, so just want to thank you again, man. Thank you so much. Yeah, no problem, mate. Look, I, I feel a lot of the time when, when people say that, I, I feel like I have a similar response to Joe Rogan, you know, a very popular podcast who says that, um, yes, he brings a lot of information to people and talks to interesting people, but he feels that it's selfish because it's for his own development. <laughs> and I feel pretty similar too. You know, I get as much out of these podcasts or more than other people do. And, you know, I'm able to use that to reach out to more cool people to talk to around the world. And, you know, I've had some some crazy interesting podcasts with, you know, the founder of Fanatic and the chief revenue officer of FaZe Clan and, you know, learning about these new markets like Brazil. And, and I've got some Southeast Asian um, people coming on soon too to learn more about that market. So, yeah, it's been as much, as as interesting for me as it has for any of the listeners, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, and like I said, amazing project. And the thing is, we have a lot of people calling themselves like esports consultants, esports savvy guys, but they don't do nothing, right? And you're doing something, <laughs> and something that is very well appreciated by people are not only trying to break in this in this uh, ecosystem in this industry, but also to to share this information with the people already well established. I'm an avid listener of the podcast, so it's it's a it's a personal win for me to be a part of the of, of it. So, uh, like I said, thank you so much, man, and I hope just to hear more from you and for your other guests soon. Yeah, no problem. And look, t- touching on that, I I think I've tried very hard to try to be as authentic as possible and be very open and honest when. I don't have a finished thought on something. And this happened a lot for those people who listen to the podcast that's coming out before yours with, with Ali Young, where I stumble through a lot because I'm thinking while I'm talking, but trying okay. to say that, hey, I don't have all the answers, but I'm very confident that I can find the person who does. So no matter whether a company comes to me to do an influencer campaign or sponsor the best esports team in the world, if I don't have the direct answer for them, you know, I'm confident through being humble and, and not trying to get let my ego get in the way to say, hey, I don't have the answer for you, but I'm sure I know the person who does and I can reach out to them and, and find that out. That's that's the, the, the whole philosophy of no line, connecting specialists, deliver the, the, the best experience or the best uh, uh, project for partners. <laughs> we are connected, awesome. though we are uh, separated by thousands of miles. <laughs> yes, I agree. I agree, mate. Well, speaking of no line and yourself, where, where can people follow you and your company online? All right. So uh, our portfolio is pretty close to find by. It's on Instagram, Instagram Instagram.com uh, slash no line culture. That's uh, our standard for all other social medias as well, like Twitter, Facebook. And to mm-hmm. find myself on Twitter is G, it's G, G-U-I underline uh, L-G-Z-N, which is my alias, which is my nickname since forever. Fantastic. Well, mate, thanks again so much for coming on. It's been great to have you. It's my pleasure. Uh, thank you so much, Chris. Have a great uh, uh, morning, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, morning. Time zones, huh? Have a great, great rest of our day. Yeah, thank you, Gay. And thank you for listening to the Big Esports Podcast. For the show notes for anything we've talked about today or to listen to or read the show notes of any of our other episodes, you can head to www.bigesports.gg forward slash podcast. Thanks for listening and bye for now.
Thanks for tuning into our podcast today. For show notes, relevant links, and upcoming projects, you can check us out online at bigesports.gg or follow us on our social medias at bigesports underscore gg. 